You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 216, covering Far Beyond the Stars and One Little Ship with Brian Lynch. Hi friends, we are back and Brian is here with us this time. Hello. Hi Brian. I'm here with you this time it's brian yes he has chosen the oh boy yeah i'm a masochist how do we say the heaviest episode is that the best way to describe there's there's i would definitely say that yes yeah like star trek has certainly dealt with with themes like extremely serious themes before but never in such an on the nose just Mm -hmm. direct way let's put it this way you remember in the 1960s when they wanted to say that racism was bad and they had that guy that was half like black on one side and white on the other and then the other guy yeah. was white on the different side and we were like well gee that's a little too you know that like that that's pretty obvious why don't they deal with this in a more you know realistic and applicable fashion well who mama yeah yeah now they're just gonna drop us straight into it and say okay here you go mm-hmm. <laughs> so brian why don't you tell us all about the uh yes the the, the very uh tonally different but but excellent so far good. beyond the stars. Yes, give us all your funny jokes about Far Beyond the Stars. <laughs> yeah. Far Beyond the Stars. Well, it's an even-numbered star date, and that means the war is going badly for the Federation. So badly, in fact, that even station life is thrown all out of whack. An old friend of Ben's has died, Papa Sisko's taken his first off-world trip to visit, and there are baseball players just walking around for some reason. No, not Buck Bokai. Someone else. <laughs> In a bit of a twist, to say the least, this is all revealed to be a daydream of Benny Russell, a science fiction writer in the 1950s, struggling to get ahead in an industry that refuses to acknowledge the achievements of black writers. Fed up with his lot in life, he begins a story about the black commander of a space station, Deep Space Nine. Told that he can't sell the story because nobody will want to read about a black man in space, he starts becoming obsessed with the life of Ben Sisko. He begins seeing Sisko's life appearing in his own. His apartment becomes quarters on a space station. His baseball playing friend becomes a fearsome alien, uh, a fearsome alien warrior. His co-workers are able to make iced tea by pouring powder into water. <laughs> Agreeing to portray Sisko as a modern black man dreaming of a better future, Benny manages to sell his story, and everything's looking up. Until one night, a teenage petty criminal that he was trying to mentor is shot by the police for a misdemeanor despite not presenting much of a threat, and the cops beat up Benny when he protests. Boy, the 1950s sure were terrible. Glad things are all better now. Well, anyway, when Benny is well enough to return to work, he is told that the publisher refuses to publish his story and he is fired, which leads to a complete nervous breakdown. In the ambulance, he gradually awakens and realizes that he truly is Ben Sisko. In true Wizard of Oz fashion, he also realizes that everyone in his other life had a counterpart in this life. That troubled teen was his son. The old preacher offering sage advice was his father. The smug Englishman was Bashir. The corrupt cops were Weyoun and Dukat. The guy getting drunk in the office by lunchtime was Damar. The guy falling down an open manhole was Rom. <laughs> now, result of purpose and inspired by Benny Russell, Sisko is able to recommit himself to fighting the good fight, and, uh, um, I gotta wrap up with a joke. It's almost impossible to make jokes about this episode. Uh, uh, no triple at all. Ah, uh, there you go. Classic. Should we all put our hands on our hips and laugh on the bridge? Ah, like, ah, <laughs> ah, 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 ah
Why, Mr. Everybody who is an alien on this show, you're becoming more human every day. Literally, y'all get to take your makeup off in this time. This is the only time in all of the 500 or whatever appearances Michael Dorn has made where he's only got to put on the normal amount of makeup that an actor puts on and not, like, 10 pounds of it. Check it out, I'm a baseball guy. Forehead. We still don't get to see his forehead because he's wearing fedoras through the whole episode. Oh yeah, he's got a baseball cap on the first time, and then after that he gets fedoras. And, yeah. I'm starting to I'm starting to think that Michael Dorn might have a Big Dipper birthmark on his forehead. <laughs> or he's maybe a, he's got a third eye. <laughs> or he's got like an exposed brain or something just <laughs> awful like that. Michael Dorn's transparent skull. Yes, he's actually Captain Bodie. His hairline is shaped like a swastika or something. <laughs> it's a coincidence. It just grows that way. I've tried shaving it, I've tried yelling at it, nothing works. <laughs> Guys, uh, maybe maybe this episode is not the best time to be making swastika <laughs> references, just say. No, this is the 1950s. At least, oh. at least save it for the Nobody's scared of Nazis episode. anymore, now they're scared of commies. And yes, this episode does feature a reference to commies. Yep. Well, I mean, the, the, the thing is, and Matt, you said this a few times, you would, you would watch this show actually, i actually your good thing, right? i actually really want to watch this show like it would be kind of a madman only about sci-fi writers I yeah which sounds like this show that's a really cool concept like uh, a bunch of like sci-fi writers working on a magazine in the 1950s all of whom are based on actual science fiction writers that's awesome and yeah. the thing is that what i was what i was uh, kind of transitioning to there is e each of them are more or less in some sort of marginalized like role from mm -hmm. the 50s like, you got the black guy who can't admit he's black, you got the woman who can't admit she's a woman, you got the uh, guy who's got clearly got communist leanings that he's got to kind of keep that under wraps. Like, mm -hmm. they've all got something to hide. Yeah. Which you got that I guy. makes it more interesting. What's you, up? You got, you got Martok. <laughs> <laughs> Martok. Martok the artist is amazing in this episode. Artok. Well, this, this uh, Artok? Oh, yes. God. Uh -huh. Terrible. I'm waiting for your reaction, Matt. Do you uh, love that or hate that? Uh, okay. Couldn't tell if you were clapping with delight or pinching the bridge of your nose. <laughs> but that actually, that feeds into my good thing, which is it's really great seeing all these guys stretch and play completely against type. Like, mm -hmm. nobody's playing a character that is remotely similar to their DS9 character, except maybe Bashir. Everybody else is so different from what they usually play. Which yeah. Is There's great. a lot of, like, like everybody's got, like, one aspect. Like, uh, like uh, the, the guy that O'Brien plays is, like all into, like, robots and, like, that really kind of, like, hard sci-fi type stuff. And so that mm -hmm. sort of fits in with him being an engineer. But at the same time, he's this shy little nerd who plays the bongos and... Like, yeah, he's got, he's... like, weird bohemian leanings, I feel like, and he's mm -hmm. also very forgetful and flighty yeah. and... Like, the O'Brien that we know is very focused. Yeah. And Where is... is the, uh, you know, uh, uh, word... Yes, yeah. thank you. <laughs> and of course, as I always, uh, one of my favorite features of any uh, uh, episode uh, where O'Brien gets to do this, um, uh, Cole Meany's terrible American accent. Yeah, I wasn't even clear that it was supposed to be an American accent. It's different than what he usually does. <laughs> I'm from somewhere. Yeah. Well, I'm not uh, really hello, sure where. I'm a writer, I'm I a guess. friend of Bashir's here. <laughs> It was it was cool though because apparently all these different uh, writers sort of are analogs for existing writers. Yeah, that's actually my uh, my good thing because I love that. Um, uh, Benny Russell was based on Samuel Delaney, who was one of the uh, uh, first major black sci-fi writers, and who did have a novel uh, rejected uh, by publishers mm -hmm. because the main character was black. Um, there was um, 
Uh, oh, I'm forgetting the exact name, and it's making me feel bad. Um, it because it well, wasn't DC the, Fontana. We all thought that uh, Kay Eaton was uh, supposed to be DC Fontana, but she was one well, of those other initial people. She's supposed to be an amalgam because mm. there's definitely some DC Fontana in there. Yeah, there definitely is. She, but no, she's specifically. Um, oh, C.L. Moore. That's who she is. Mm, uh, because right. and, and her husband uh, in the. Um, in this episode was Bashir, and he was based on uh, uh, Henry Kuttner, one of the uh, one of the Lovecraft's co-writers. Right. Who, they were in real life married. Yes. Which is a nice layer of meta, because Nana and uh, and Alexander Siddig are married, which is fantastic. Mm. Yeah, and then um, there's um, uh, John Campbell, uh, the, the guy that wrote Who Goes There, but uh, was mostly known as a publisher. He's, um, uh, you know, the publisher is based on him. And, mm. uh, of course... Um, the uh, crabby guy who always feels like he's being put upon and that nobody gives him respect and that he deserves more money for everything, that's Harlan Ellison. It's Let, certainly not Harlan Ellison, that's for let's, darn sure. Let's be very clear that nobody, this is true, on the record has ever said that that's supposed to be Harlan Ellison. They've, they've pointed out all the other similarities, but they have deliberately not said that that is Harlan Ellison. Mm -hmm. yep. And, uh, um, oh, and uh, the, the, the one, of, one of the things that I think was a bit of a missed opportunity was that... Um, uh, the uh, uh, O'Brien's character was supposed to be Isaac Asimov, um, mm -hmm. but they didn't give him gigantic sideburns. Well, that would have been a dead giveaway. Yes. <laughs> I think they were trying to be a little subtle. Uh, it's interesting because Memory Alpha points out the Delaney thing, and it says, uh, reportedly sometime after this episode, Avery Brooks phoned Delaney, whom he'd never previously met, and jokingly asked, do you know who this is? Other reports suggest that it was Delaney who phoned Brooks. So I, I like both of those are cool. Mm -hmm. Like this sci-fi writer seeing somebody very much like him on star trek and say hey wait a minute <laughs> or avery brooks saying uh, I, I really drew from this guy let me call and thank him and, you know e either way that kind of hey, yeah, and, I, and i can see i can see avery brooks doing that too oh, oh yeah. yeah it's cool because he directed this and usually they don't let actor like actors direct all the time obviously mm -hmm. on the show but mm -hmm. they usually don't let them direct episodes where that their character is featured heavily because it's very difficult for them yeah. to yeah. do both yeah. you don't want but in this case yeah. they none of the other direct like all the other directors were white guys and they're like you know what maybe this topic... we should uh... <laughs> actually they had lavar burton why didn't they use him come to think of it because they do i was gonna say he's not the only black director they have right but yeah no, no they, got LeVar they have lavar burton maybe he was busy in in any case i think he's he off doing a terrible it. voyager episode uh, that could be um but i think he wanted it too because this is definitely a passion of his oh yeah definitely educating people on on how things were and you know don't forget the past and that kind of yeah stuff. and this will this will mm -hmm. turn into a thing for cisco too after this episode like he becomes yeah. more oh, yeah, uh... he does not forget the lessons he learned from uh no from benny well, russell now, let's be let's be clear what exactly like i don't particularly care but it was really hard show... to figure out how to describe exactly yeah, was... what happened because it's not like it's not like he woke up in the body of Benny Russell and was like, well, gosh, I'm really Ben Sisko, but I need to figure this out. They yeah. were all characters. They were completely realized characters. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and there was always a doubt, like, like Benny Sisko's life was bleeding into Ben's and mm -hmm. vice versa. Like, And so he would, like, see, sure. like, like uh, uh, Kira, uh, what was her name, Kay, um, mm -hmm. with the nose thing and the different hair for, like, half a second, and then she'd snap right back. Yeah. Right. Oh, and I think the most powerful one was uh, the the two cops who were uh, oh, Dukat and Wayun toward the end, where they've got him on the ground kicking him, and then suddenly they're Dukat and Wayun, and mm -hmm. then they're back to the to yeah. their cops again. That was that was really intense. I'm yeah. gonna say this was easily the scariest Dukat's ever been on Star Trek, which is impressive as hell. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because he's 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 had some moments. 
just yeah, last week, you know, there was, yeah. Yeah. or what, the week and he's before? he's going to have some moments Waltz, coming up. whatever that was. Yeah, no, that was last week. Yeah. That was last week, okay. Um, but yeah, he was, and he, he was doing it well with, like, a Brooklyn accent, too, which was great, mm. like, hey, yo, yeah. what we got over here? You, uh, you yep. dressed a little fancy to be in this neighborhood kind of thing. Yeah. Yep. No, and it's nice, because, like, he, he still plays a good villain, but it's a whole different kind of villain. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is just a standard, like, these are cops. This is just how things are. This mm -hmm. isn't a particularly bad cop. He's just a cop. I think he might be... No. No. In the 50s? No. Certainly not. That's just what he what If he it had was happened like... across two different cops, they would have acted the same, probably. Yeah. That's the thing, man. And that's really my bad thing, as I copped out, because I, I couldn't find it. <laughs> copped I'd... out. Oh, God. <laughs> Please don't thing... remind me of that Kevin Smith movie. <laughs> My bad thing is reality, <laughs> because this episode is still surprisingly relevant, uh, yeah. as Brian alluded to in his summary there, uh, the bit where Jake has just been killed by cops who don't care and are just, like, yep. beating up the guy who protests, just mm -hmm. like, oh, God, th well, this will not, oh, Jesus. And it's one of those uh, things where, like, just yeah, happened. he was doing something illegal, he was trying to break into a car, did he deserve yeah. to be shot? Not remotely. No. disproportionate response and then complete lack of care about mm -hmm. what happened in the aftermath just it, it was so like uh, this just happened and then it just happened again mm -hmm. and then it just happened like this is still happening all the fucking time uh -huh. it's on happening thanks for reminding me show and that you know that's the point and good but uh yeah damn it did you guys not all watch star trek come on <laughs> let's 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 stop now we how old is this, this episode 20 years Something like this. This has been like 97, yeah. so yeah, we're, we're coming up on about 20 years. And, <sighs> yeah. And the whole point of this was, hey, things were pretty bad 40 years before this. Well, okay, but they still are. Things are pretty much the same bad yeah. now. Try, I mean, it's, try it's harder, like, reality. Yeah. <laughs> it's not as open. Like, it's not as obvious on the surface, maybe, but it's still happening a lot, and it's yep. terrible. But it was like that's what made this episode so great. It was it did not shy away. Like a lot of times Star Trek is kind of wussy like that. Mm -hmm. Like it like it it puts its toe near where it wants to make the point and then it backs off. But this one just clobbers you over the head with it. Like well, I mean, you know, it's like it we were talking about earlier. It's like you know, if we want to tackle racism, well, we'll take two white guys and paint them black and white and then talk about how bad racism is. I mean, part of that was the 60s. Mm -hmm. You couldn't just come out and say stuff. Part of that was Gene loved that, like, that allegory stuff. That, mm -hmm. like, um, Gulliver's Travels was his big thing. Like, yeah. He loved use, you Is know, that a Kardashian? using Fantastic. Uh, yes. Gulliver. Oh, God. <laughs> now, that one you like. I don't get it. Yeah. Like... Listen, Mal. Uh, Mal. Excuse me. Mal. Hey. Uh. Whoa. Matt. Al. Listen. Mal. Wait a minute. Oh my god, no! Hold on, I have to go add some more red yarn to my corkboard. <laughs> Listen, I'm a mysterious. Uh-huh. There's no such thing as mysterious. Anyway, you were saying. <laughs> you were saying. Before you, before you Freudian slipped before me you, Before being you called wife. the teacher mommy. Yeah. <laughs> oh no, my, no, no, my, my point is completely lost now. Okay. <laughs> Mine too. Great. If anyone Great knows, if anyone knows where it went, please write in. Post oh, to the uh, core. Uh, Gulliver's Travels. Oh I, yeah, yeah. Gene, yeah. Like I'm, I'm reading this. Uh, 
I'm reading this These Are the Voyages book, which is so incredibly tediously detailed. Like, there's a lot of great stuff, but there's a lot of stuff I got to skip because I just don't care. But <laughs> the one thing they keep coming back to is Gene loved Jonathan Swift. He loved that using f the trappings of fantastic stories to, to talk about, you know, as an allegory. Oh, that's why, and... that's why Spock ate all those babies. Yeah, now you know. <laughs> um... That's why they called that episode an illogical proposal. <laughs> <laughs> but it's it, it, like you can totally see that now. Like, I, I don't think I was aware of that specific thing that he was going like part of his pitch was we'll deal with issues via Gulliver's Travels. Mm. And I, I can totally see that. But now, like, that's kind of the tone that this, the, the show set and Next Gen yep. did it and DS9 has done it a bit. And it's weird for them to just come out and say, no, you know what? This is the actual stark reality of something that really happened. Yeah, if we're going to have an episode about racism. This one's actually going to be about racism and you're just yeah. going to have to deal with it. Yeah. But they made it interesting. They didn't like mm. it wasn't heavy handed. Oh, no, it did. And it was it was nope. good. And it was funny, too. Like there was a lot oh, of comedy oh, yeah. in this episode that worked really well. Well, there has to be. For this to work, it can't just be dark, like, people being, you know, marginalized and, and killed and beaten up. Like, you have to have some, some yeah. levity there. Yeah, I mean, I might have had trouble making jokes about it, but they certainly didn't. No. There's uh, all, well, like, I... all that office stuff was great, and that goes right back to, I would watch this show. Yeah. Yeah. No, again, it's got a very madman feel. It's got a very time and place. Like, science fiction was at a very unique period, like, in the, I would say, 40s and 50s, like... Mm -hmm. just it, as as a genre like it was like tv was turning into a thing and movies were a thing but but the the, the like uh anthology magazines were still huge so all the big greats of sci-fi were writing short stories constantly yeah. yep so you just had this constant body of work out there that was changing and, and evolving and it was such a great time to be into this stuff i i love the idea of having to write short stories based around whatever the guy drew oh yeah that was, like, that was, that was the, a here's... very real thing at the time Oh, yeah, no, I just, I love the, it's like, here are the illustrations we're running this week. Who's got ideas for them? It's kind of like the Marvel style of writing comics, only with, with fiction. Yeah. Well, that, and that, was, that was, especially as far as that goes, that was a very uh, a DC thing. One of their uh, editors, if writers didn't get story pitches in, in time, he'd just give them a cover and say, oh, nice. here, mm -hmm. do this. That was uh, uh, Jul right Julius uh, Schwartz. Schwartz? Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And when he had, like, the, I don't know, it was like his, like, 100th anniversary of his birth or something. Um, mm -hmm. DC did that again a few years back. They had oh, Julie, they had cool. Julia yeah, Schwartz month that, yeah. where they gave Schwartz covers to their current writers, and they mm -hmm. did two per issue. Um, oh, very cool. Here, yeah, you read a story about how really the Flash has a giant head. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Or the, the the one that I got was it was um Superman fighting an invisible football player, <laughs> and so they were like. Here you go, you know, uh, Grant Morrison, you write a story about Superman fighting an invisible football player. Here's oh, your cover, write the that. story. Oh my god, that I, would I be the best Grant Morrison, Morrison story ever. <laughs> but, you know, they no, but if you give him any of that goofy Silver Age yep. crap, he would he would love that. And mm -hmm. then they did the same, but in that same issue, they gave it to another writer. And they said, now oh, you cool. also write a story about Superman fighting an invisible football player. Oh, that's awesome. so clever. That's cool. Right? Yeah. No, and, and, and for being, like, to generate the, the fiction, mm -hmm. I think is great, too. Like, uh, prose, rather. It's mm. all fiction. Mm -hmm. But uh, it, that's, a, that's a really interesting exercise. And I imagine that's how it was done, because I know they did some research. I know probably that, you know, if they didn't have people directly working in this stuff, they probably knew people, you know. Like, yeah. Yeah, like exactly. Star Trek has a pedigree. There's probably people, you know, that go back that far. Mm. Yeah, they, they, they knew what they were about. Yeah. 
and and I, it is a really interesting time, like I say, for the genre. And and to you talk about those old DC comics, like that's the same that's the same era where every week Superman would turn into a gorilla and then fight a lion. Of, yeah, and and then Batman would go to space and I don't know, like get caught in a mm -hmm. laundry hamper. And, <laughs> and then he would meet Space Batman, who had superpowers. Right, that, was, that was one of my all-time all favorites. Was the, the Batman of Zurinar. Oh yeah, uh, yes. But see, that's that's where sort of people's like like people were not afraid to tell the most ridiculous, crazy bullshit sci-fi. Like you yep. know, in every in every form of science fiction, just do that stuff. And if you read some of these magazines from the time, the stories were similar. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Actually, I actually I have a couple. Yeah, oh. I, I'm into that stuff too. Like, there's yeah. some great uh, audio collections where people have gone back, like current you know uh, uh, audiobook readers have gone back and read some of the old anthology you know, uh, collections. And it's mm. great. Nice. But yeah, it's, it would be a really interesting time to watch just these different marginalized people have to, have to make it in this period. It wouldn't have to be all about Benny, but he'd no. maybe be the yeah. main character. I mean, yeah, yeah he'd be the main character. Yeah. He'd still have all the others making their yeah. way in the world today. Well, and that's the, everything you got. And that's the other thing. All of these, like for introducing like an entire cast of new people, all of these characters are so perfectly realized just right out of the box. Yeah, oh, we get 47 yeah. minutes, and some of that time takes place on DS9, yeah. so we got maybe 40 minutes to, to get to know these guys, and we feel like we completely know them in about 10. Yeah, yeah they, they all, like, you... God, it's such a good episode. Yeah, and some oh. of that some of that has to do with, you know, shorthand and working with, like, archetypes and, like, sort of cliches, but that's not, and not in a bad way. Mm -hmm. Oh, no, but, like, yeah. You but... see... You see uh, Jake as the as the crazy drifter in a zoot suit, and you you immediately know. Okay, I know what he's about. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Chewing on his toothpick with his weird little Lando mustache. I I get it. And his crazy his ass mustache. straw hat. Yep. <laughs> or uh, you know his, like... his backwards uh, Samuel L. Jackson hat. Right. Or uh, oh, uh, sp okay. I can speaking of the fashion of the time, I'm going to put in my bad thing here. It's it's a total cheat uh -huh. because um, it was such a good episode, and it's one of those oh, how do you find a bad thing ones. Um, mm -hmm. but I chose, um, uh, and I, I wish I could remember any of their real names, but no matter how good they were as characters, it's, uh, O'Brien's, no, uh, O'Brien's tie. Um, <laughs> I was just so annoyed by yep. that through the whole episode because I, if, and if anybody watched Agent Carter lately, they've seen this 1950s ties or late 1940s, early 1950s ties. They ended like just under the nipples. Like <laughs> it's a hideous look. It's somewhere between a bow tie and a necktie. Like yeah. it's not, it, it can't quite pick a length. And it, it it's just, it, it looks terrible. And they they all get them high waisted pants too. So your bad thing is more this the fashions of 1953. <laughs> just just like Al, the bad thing is real life, but in a much more mild way than his was. Yeah, fair enough. <laughs> My bad thing is Ferguson. Your bad thing is ties. <laughs> well, only because you already took Ferguson. <laughs> Well, okay. This is what happens. <laughs> this is what happens when I choose my bad thing last. It's Kira's swimsuit all over again, or Dax's Look. swimsuit. Matt's uh, well, hey. like Kira's. Wait, what? <laughs> sorry, you just sorry, you just grabbed my attention again. Now I have to go back to that. I was thinking about my bad cake. thing retroactively. Why wasn't Kira on Risa? Why not? Why I wasn't the episode, episode just Kira, Lita, and Dax and playing volleyball? <laughs> because because Kira would have successfully shut it down, unlike War from Failed. Because <laughs> Kira that doesn't give true. a damn about volleyball. Right. Beach volleyball, slam a jamma. <laughs> uh Matt, what was your bad thing? Um What was my bad thing? You, oh yeah. You yeah, were yeah. lucky enough so, to get a real one. 
I was. Uh, yeah, so fucking uh, Cassidy shows up again after being gone since I think season five. I don't think I, she's. I think I think this time last year. No, no, no. She was in. She was in near the end of the season. Yeah. Okay, but she hasn't been in season five or season six season at all. No, she was busy on the Larry Sanders show. They couldn't get the actor yeah. back. And so she just sort of shows up at the beginning of the episode and just like, hey, Ben, the guy I've always been in love with. I, I, yeah, it was so a great really clumsy, I've it's, been here all along. Oh, and her, her it's first so great line that I'm so, so in love with you. Yeah, her first line was so like, remember how I have a ship? Just in case anyone forgot? Yeah. Which isn't even relevant to the story. Let me fill you in on everything because I haven't been around in a long time. Yeah, and with a show with a huge extended cast like this, they mm -hmm. don't need to do that very often. When they no. have to do that with the lead's love interest, yeah, that's a bad that's, sign. That's a problem. Yeah. And the thing is, she, like, I think she's fine in the um, in, eh. in the actual episode as Benny's girlfriend who works I in the diner. I still feel like she's, like, her level, her caliber of acting is one notch below all the rest of them. Like, she's fine, but mm -hmm. she's not as good. Certainly not as good as him. Not as good as, I think, the others. Oh, either. God, no. Like, let's yeah. not go nuts here, but... Yeah. But, I mean, just pulling her out, like, just like... Uh, and she was also here the whole time, because we suddenly need her. Well, they needed to use all the all the black actors in the in the ensemble, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And it definitely but made additionally... sense for Benny to have somebody connecting in his life like that. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. He needed... Like, he had some friends, but it, he needed somebody closer, yeah. too. But, but yes. a, additionally, I feel like they wanted to call back to because basically I think this was meant to be the prophets giving like at the beginning he wanted to give up and leave DS9 and just get out of there yeah and there's and I think the message the prophets are trying to send him was no the struggle is worth it you got to keep mm -hmm. fighting yeah and to 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 echo that bringing Cassidy back while he's in sick bay having weird brain stuff going on calls us back to the episode where that happened before yes mm -hmm. Like, I think that's one of the reasons she's in this, is what I'm saying. Well, they also, they mentioned that episode, too. Right, but but her and Jake standing over him in sickbay reminds us, oh yeah, this happened before. Oh, yeah. Captain, I think you've just gone funny in the brain meets again. That's Really, that's... I want to get, like, a psychiatrist or something for this space station. Oh, well. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but I, I just, yeah, it was very clumsy to bring, oh yeah, remember That's her? actually uh, a very uh? small problem I have with the episode was at the end when he wakes up and he sees, you know, his family, Cassidy and Jake and, um... um yeah, you were there and you and you. That Bashir is also there. And Dad, and... you were a lion! <laughs> Rawr! Um... <laughs> is that Bashir is also there Put him and... Up. Put him up! I would have, and this is, there's, there's a personal reason for this too, I would have preferred either that he just wakes up with his family, or that we mm -hmm. get a little bit, like, just, just at least, like, one quick shot of all the other crew members, like, in their full makeup and stuff. And there's two mm. reasons for that, which is, one, it's really weird that Bashir is just sort of corning in on family time. Hello, I'm, I'm here friend. too. I just popped in to I'm say your brain's all fine. He is in sick bay with his Yeah, doctor, but they could have I mean, said, like, yeah. you know, oh, we'll go get Julian, you know, something like that. Like, he was just, like, out of the room this time. So. Um, but the other reason is that, um, uh, I've mentioned this for, for two years, I was a fourth grade teacher. Um, I'm doing a sixth, sixth through eighth grade now. Um, I was going to say, you're still, I'm still teaching. teaching right? Yeah, no, no, but I'm not in the fourth grade anymore. But uh, at the end of the year, the last okay. thing in our, our um, you know, uh, reader book was a um, uh, an Asimov story. Um, or, or, sorry, a Bradbury story. Um, uh -huh. uh, and um, we read that, and I read, uh, I also read a um, uh, an Asimov story that went along with it, and uh, mm -hmm. I told them a little bit about uh, science fiction. And so what I would do is I would show them this episode, 
Um, and it's a little heavy, but it's something that they're interested in, and it's close enough to their level. Um, I have to be real quick on the uh, the mute button at one point, because they do drop an N-bomb at one point, and uh, that's that's rough. Yep. Um, Which was the style of the time. I mean, they were being realistic. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, but what I did was I, I cut off the beginning. Um, the opening scenes where he's Ben Sisko being disillusioned with war, I just start right off the bat with Benny Russell. Um, uh, so that, that makes sense. as far as they're concerned watching it, this is a story about Benny Russell and he starts seeing all these little things and most of them don't know Star Trek enough to recognize like a Klingon when it shows up, although even the ones that do are kind of mm. like, oh, hey. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so they get into it. So for my own personal reasons, I would have really enjoyed like a quick shot of everybody at the end. So that my right. so that my personal students could see, oh, that's <laughs> what uh, that you know that's what that's what Herb looks like when he's playing Odo kind of thing. Well, I still feel like the episode was was made like it feels like okay, it definitely slots into the Dominion mm-hmm. thing, like the whole arc because we're in the middle of the war and things yep. are bad. But on the other hand, it does feel like it's it totally serves as a standalone episode because it deals with a unique thing that I think like it's obvious they want people to see this beyond. DS9. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, it it applied perfectly uh, for my, for my uh, class purposes, and, um, you know, that's one of the reasons. But I think it was designed to be, I think it was designed to be enjoyed by people, like, who don't usually watch the show. Yeah, exactly. I I, I think, certainly, um, uh, you know, the, uh, they'd be happy to have it used in schools, you know, to foster this type of uh, education conversation. I don't don't even mean that necessarily, but that's also a good application. I just meant, like, for, I don't know, any consideration or for just in general, you know, I, I got this, the same uh, vibe that I, oh, go ahead. This was uh, actually considered for uh, Emmy. Like, ah, they put of course this it in didn't for... get one because Star Trek never gets no, one. No, well, no, the, and the thing was it was it was nominated for stuff like makeup. Because yeah. uh, that's the only thing they're willing to nominate use the makeup Star Trek we usually for. Use. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but what, what I'm saying is I got a similar vibe from this that I got with uh, Trials and Tribulations, which is we're doing something really special here that needs to be able to be enjoyed on its yep. own. So mm-hmm. we're kind of we're kind of smoothing out the edges and maybe not doing so many callbacks so that anyone who hasn't seen DS9 can get what's yeah, going. Yeah, we'll mention yep. the war, but it's not the main thing we're doing this time. Right. But it's still, that's what I mean, it still nicely fits in with what's going on because the profits are still in there and the war is still in there. Like, the, the big picture stuff still mm-hmm. fits. So it's, it's not a total jarring like wait why did this why couldn't have this happened in season one like there's that's another thing that made it work in the classroom if you don't know about the prophets then the old preacher ranting about the prophets just seems like an old preacher like yeah it sounds like it still fits like it's not like some like obscure thing that you know you have to know before you watch the episode for it to make any sense right oh it's so good all right well uh it really is any any further business we probably should be pressing forward I, I I was a little nervous with us three white guys talking about this episode about racism, but uh, I think I think thankfully uh, there's enough sci-fi Matt history never... for us to nerd up about. Yeah, oh, whew, yeah, because <laughs> oh, because heaven forfend we talk about the black. Yeah, um, just, no, 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 no. But we we I, did. I, I um, <laughs> no, I know, I know. The uh... it made us uncomfortable, which was the goal. They did a good job of reminding us. That, oh God, it, yeah. it 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 certainly did its job. The other episode that I show my students isn't until uh, next season, uh, before they go out for their uh, school field day, in order to teach them the value it's of teamwork. It's a rom heavy episode. I, I show them the it's the baseball episode that comes up next season, and uh, that oh, is yeah. that is the episode that started the uh, the meme. Kids love rom. Yes, <laughs> rom friend to all children. <laughs> and uh, so yeah, look forward right. to that. But uh, yeah, so I just have I have my quote. 
And, okay, uh, well, it is uh, one of those where it was really hard to choose because there's this wonderful bit at the end where he has this, like, huge breakdown and everything, um, and I could have chosen that, or there's, like, some impassioned monologues, but I decided, you know what, this is one of those times where we just got to go for the levity, and I chose something real goofy. So here's Martok the Artist's excuse for drawing a picture of a sexy lady being menaced by a bug. And this is Mr. Pap's favorite. Honeymoon on Andorus. Oh, you've got to be kidding. What? So I had too much sauerkraut my Franks that night. What can I say? Be that as it may, that is the worst piece of garbage I have ever seen. Thank you. I'll take it. Menaced by what appears to be Zorak from Space Because, you know, space that makes perfect sense. If there's one thing we know, it's yeah, why not? boiled German cabbage. <laughs> makes you feel <laughs> sexy. How come there aren't any white people in Star Trek? <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Moving forward now. <laughs> Paul Harvey. Paul Tony. Harvey. Paul Harvey. <laughs> uh, the Clark next man. episode could not be a more tonally distinct. <sighs> how, mu how much more of a departure could you get from that? Uh, the Apple and the Doomsday the... Machine. <laughs> yeah, This might be the good. two yeah. most different episodes we've had since that wonderful pairing. Uh, in that case, though, that was an amazing episode and a terrible episode. These were both good, yeah. but they're just incredibly different. Very ways. different. Ways. I am. I can just shocked by how good this one actually turned out to be. It's a regular uh, rascals. It, it was the, yeah, it was the rascals' effect all over again. Uh, let me tell you now about one little ship. This is the story of a little ship. Wait, no. <laughs> uh, don't wizard. The defiant don't is do it exploring yet. anomalies, which is exactly the sort of thing it was built for. And what war? What are you even talking about? The anomaly in question causes thing to shrink because why the hell not? I mean, the original series did that episode about everyone getting old. Next Gen did one about some guys turning into children. And Voyager's going to use that stale old cliche where exceeding warp 10 turns you into lizards who fuck each other. <laughs> so the only way DS9 is going to get a piece of the tedious trope pie is by doing the thing that literally every science fiction do show does at some point, a shrinking episode. Kira, for her part, looks right at the camera and laughs her ass off for a full minute. So I think the message here is, we'd better take this all very seriously. So Julian, Miles, and Jedzia enter the anomaly, shrinking the runabout down to the size of a brick of latinum. And in accordance with wacky episode procedure, an invading force suddenly captures the ship far more easily than they ever could in a non-wacky episode. Okay, this time at least it's the Jem'Hadar and not three Ferengi and a hundred-year-old ship, so that's something. Yeah, I'm still bugged about that. These particular Jem'Hadar are all grown in the Alpha Quadrant. They've got a bad attitude and something to prove and don't dick get too close and watch your six. Also, one of them, who's about to retire at the ripe old age of four, was actually grown in the Gamma Quadrant and resents the Alpha's exotic ways and rappy pants. Naturally, Cisco exploits this and buys time for the Wii ship to do its tiny duty in rescuing the non-diminutive crew. This involves flying the runabout right into the faces of the oblivious Jem'Hadar, outracing explosions and going exploring in exotic forests of isolinear chips. And puns. So many terrible puns. Eventually the ship is retaken, the Jem'Hadar are brutally murdered, and everyone has a good laugh. Also, Worf writes a poem. <laughs> and I'm just gonna go straight into my quote, which was recommended by you Matt. You gotta put that in there. It is also my good thing. This is also and Matt's it was going to thing. be my good thing until I noticed it was Matt's. Yes, this is this is the quote near the end of the episode where Worf has decided to write a warrior-style poem about about their exploits. Is that your poem? Yes. Blood wine. Can I hear it? It is not finished yet. Oh, please, just the first line. All right, but it is my first poem. I understand. 
and I have worked very long and very hard on this. I know. And I do not wish to be ridiculed. I promise. Very well. This is the story of a little ship that took a little trip. What do you think? It's, uh... Well, it rhymes. There's nothing on this pad! <laughs> so there's that. I cannot remember the last time I laughed that hard at something from Star Trek. The thing is, Klingons do that. Like, they, they write songs and poems about, yep. about mighty deeds, and he's always involved in mighty deeds, so he should be writing poems and stuff. I just want it to be Wouldn't it be great if it turns out all Klingon poetry is like that? Yeah. Like, it's all just, like, like really, like, simplistic, like, ABAB rhyme scheme. Well, I imagine a lot of Klingon warriors are not accomplished poets. I don't know. Like, there's the whole warrior poet, like you know, character type that I imagine a lot of Klingons are. I'm sure that there are some. I'm also sure that there are some who's all like, uh, I was very sad. The war was very bad. Yes, but... It made me very mad. I wanted to be glad. <laughs> but, think about this. I rode a skateboard I... that was rad. <laughs> I could totally picture Martok, not now, but Martok circa age 20, like college age, writing, like, really great poetry. Uh -huh. And now he's grown out of it and he's kind of embarrassed about it. Now what rhymes with sauerkraut? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I should say this one a cigar in my mouth. No, I don't know. He just seems like the type that has those hidden depths that like he's just kind of paved over and nobody mm -hmm. sees anymore. But you know what I mean? Like he's the coolest Klingon I could think of and I could totally see him doing that at some point. Oh yeah. But Worf not so much though. No, Worf no. 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 <laughs> the sun did not shine. It was too dark to play. So we sailed in the ship on that cold, cold, wet day. <laughs> in space, there's no weather. It was an anomaly. Yeah, that's the ticket. It's always an anomaly with you. O'Brien's like, it worked on my ship. Let me, let me teach you about a little form of poetry that comes from Ireland. There once was a man from Kronos. Had <laughs> <laughs> uh, some redundant, redundant bonos. Oh. Terrible. Remember, he has two spines? Yeah, I, I know. There you Bonos. go. Bonos. That's uh, a callback. Two bo bone, bone, bone. It works. It's a callback. No, it really doesn't. <laughs> Brian, what was your good thing? It better uh, not have been Bonos. There's, there's, a, uh, <laughs> there's a scene where, uh, you know, um, Cisco is uh, bluffing the Gemitar, which is just absolutely fantastic because it's a real. It's, it's a big Star Trek cliche when. You know, the uh, good guys are in a bind and they do a bluff, you know, a, you know, a game of Fizzbin kind of thing. Mm. Yeah, or Riker, Where they just, like, like overtalk, uh, or, or Riker explaining to the Frangi, like, oh, you've got to compensate, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. But it's almost always played for laughs. And in this mm -hmm. one, it's just Cisco being an absolute badass and describing in detail how to fix warp engines. Because the Gemitar's like, he goes, my crew's going to have to fix the engine. And the Gemitar's like, tell my crew how to fix it and they'll do it. Cisco's like... Alright, you want to play this way? Here we go. So starting at first principles, yeah. here's how gravity works. Personally, I got nothing but time, so... Uh... Yep. The longer and I stall you, the longer goes. you're not going to kill me. And then eventually they uh, they start working together and the Gemini are terrible at it, which is 
also a great bit. We are not good at fixing things. <laughs> There's this one in the back where we couldn't see his tool for a while, and we thought he was just sort of waving his hands over. Yeah, like, if, if if you do the action of waving a tricorder over something, but the tricorder's not there, it looks like you're miming wildly. <laughs> He's like that dude on the original Enterprise, frantically turning that wheel that doesn't exist. <laughs> yep. That's exactly what he was doing. <laughs> um, my good thing... Juliet is particularly good in this one. I feel like we've gotten so into his whole genetically altered thing and he's kind of tortured and I'm a monster that apart from his occasional like Rosencrantz and Guildenstern cameos with Chief O'Brien, he just hasn't been a lot of fun lately. Mm -hmm. And here, here the whole time he's just like, oh, we're little, this is delightful, <laughs> making terrible jokes and making fun of Chief O'Brien. And he's just, he's just, in, oh, we're on a stupid adventure. This is great. I just, or Julian is such a guy with so like, okay, well, this is weird. You're going to fly into the anomaly and you're actually going to shrink. And Julian's like, I am definitely going on that adventure. That sounds amazing. Uh, we, we have to study the medical effects. Of, uh, no, I just want to do it. I'm very small. <laughs> Look and he makes fun of O'Brien for being, like, shorter than he is, because yep, yep. he's sitting a yard closer to the Shrinky Anomaly. <laughs> no, he's just in the foreground. <laughs> Don't eat my chicken wings! But there's now, a, these there's... cows are small, and these cows are far away. <laughs> he's But there's a fun, like, like uh bit where he's like uh julian be serious you're right that's too that's very small of me <laughs> like just terrible terrible puns and I, I i just i enjoy it this is the best day i've ever had yeah plus i like this dynamic i don't think we've ever seen uh uh bashir and o'brien and dax all hanging out together no i mean we've seen those fun. guys hanging out in pairs but uh mm -hmm. this yeah, various combinations. this threesome is really cool yeah, and, and they're it's the all three. The they're because they're and they're not only the science guys, but they're the fun people also. Yeah, the three, the three like, goofballs. Yep, those are the three that know how to enjoy themselves. Uh huh. Yeah, that is true, and they are also the three smartest people on the on the station. Mm -hmm. In terms of in terms of how stuff works, like I'd say Cisco's smarter with like um, least tactics like a guy. strategy. Yeah. yeah. You know what really would have made this episode if you're looking for somebody who's a goofball but also really smart with electronics? No. No. Rom. He would be walking into everything. I stumbled over a mouse, brother. Oh, here's an air molecule. <laughs> yeah. No. 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 Brother. Um. But yeah, it was just a lot of fun. Like, and the episode, like I said, like I mentioned in my summary, Kira really does spend the entire teaser, like, literally just giggling. Like, oh yeah, she's just standing in the background laughing at one point. Like, Captain, this is seriously the stupidest, like, why are you doing this? This is so dumb. So close, so close to my good thing. It's just the show, like, waving its arms and saying, look, look, we know, we don't care, shut up. We're Did doing... you see the show last week? We gotta do something like We're now. doing a shrinky episode, like every cartoon has ever done. I'm, I'm actually surprised they didn't go a step further and do a uh, Fantastic Voyage episode because that's really what every sci-fi show does flying a uh flying a runabout through somebody's veins yep we gotta save the emissary yeah but that's really like it could be part two to the other one where mm -hmm. he's got that uh prophet's brain injury again yeah oh there you go that would be the best like the only the only better way these two don't make sense next to each other is if you automatically fall it up far beyond used to the other. Yeah, it's just like the the dramatic cliffhanger of Far Beyond the Stars is Julian going, "What if we shrunk a shuttlecraft and flew it into his brain?" No, 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 no. The, the first one ends with uh, if we don't do something, he's gonna he's gonna lose all brain function in six hours. 
And then, like, we're, we end on a serious note. And mm. then the second one says, like, he just continues that sentence. And now so, the conclusion. Have, yeah. Which so is why I'm going down. to shrink a shuttlecraft. <laughs> and that, that would totally keep people off balance and like, oh, Jesus, thank God. My God. I, now I really <laughs> want to see that episode. Yeah. But really, like, that's the shrinking episode most sci-fi shows do. Yep. I'm kind of surprised they didn't. That's the one most sci-fi shows do, and then most cartoons do running around on the ground, on the floor. Yep. I really did like the, um, out of an aquarium. the the bit where they were like around like all like the isolineer chips and stuff. Yeah, Matt pointed out how kind of dumb it all looked up close, but I mean that's the design they kind of like committed to, so they had to you know. That's the make thing. It, making that stuff look big is not great. Yeah, that's like, the, like yeah, that that's what it looks like a regular size. So. Yep. That, like that was my thing. It's like this looks really bad. It's like, but then I'm like, but I kind of love that it looks really bad. Yep. I love watching uh, Julian and Chief O'Brien pulling these giant fucking tubes out of uh, isolinear chips and plugging them into crap the and stupid is, blinking lights. It's wonderful. The thing is, if we shrunk down into a computer from now, it would look really stupid and fake because mm -hmm. computers are all like weird, different colored components that don't look like they match. And like they're not designed as architecture. They're designed for function. Yeah. So, yep. you know, like they look really weird up close. So it makes sense. Mm. And yeah. I also love that they actually answered that, like, you know, that thing that nerdy nerd, nerdy nitpickers always complain about. I'm sure I've mentioned it at some point. That, <laughs> um, uh, when somebody shrinks, they shouldn't be able to breathe. Yeah. Uh, because, because the air so, molecules should be too big for them. Exactly. And so they had Dax beam some already shrunken air from inside of the ship into right. the area that they'd be using... And then because it was a gas, it expanded to fill the area. Yep. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's not only is that a really innovative use of the transporter, it's yep. fixing a sci-fi problem that really nobody should care about. <laughs> well, and then and then also calling but, attention to that issue means that gives them some jeopardy because they've only got a limited amount of air and yeah. they've got to get back to normal at some point. Exactly. So they create extra danger, they yeah. use technology in an innovative way, and they show off how clever the writers are. Mm -hmm. It's a perfect it's a one, perfect two, three. Trifecta. Yeah. Yeah, and go. they shut the nitpickers up. That's exactly. I was about to say, when you said nitpicky nerds, I was about to say, that's the pot call, and then I, nope, nope, <laughs> not saying that. By the way, ah. that is, that is, that is <laughs> that's not That's the a, pot a, calling a, the kettle me metallic. A different sure color of kettle. That's the, the pot calling the kettle with... a kitchen utensil. <laughs> that expression has nothing to do with race, but it still sounds bad. Mm. It's the, the color of iron. Yep. Well, it is I, a weird I, expression, because even if the pot was talking to the kettle, why would it just suddenly go, well, you're black? Yeah. Like, no, it doesn't make any sense. It's a, it's a crazy town expression. <laughs> uh, Matt, what was your bad thing? Uh, at, no point, at no point in this episode does Chief O'Brien ever fight a spider with a sewing needle. I think that's the biggest wasted opportunity in all of Trek history. I, I do not get that reference. He should also be wearing a napkin. Nope, still don't get that reference. Right, what fine. is that for? Uh, Incredible Shrinking Man. Ah, yep. Nope, never seen it. I personally would have gone for uh, uh, O'Brien getting stuck in uh, Captain Sisko's Cheerios. That would have been a good one, too. Boy, Juliet was really upset when that ant died. <laughs> Aw. I, I do remember the Incredible Shrinking Woman with Lily Tomlin. I've seen that, too, but I haven't seen it enough to remember anything specific, specific about it. They ran it on HBO a lot, probably before you were born, but a lot in the like early eighties. Yeah. And uh, 
I saw it a lot. How about one where Julian remains at the same size after this and has to start riding his fox swift into sickbay? That's no, a that's that a either. that's David the gnome. Ah, wow. <laughs> Starring TV's Tom Bosley. Yep. <laughs> and in the last episode, he dies. Yep. Nice. <laughs> Did they stuff his body in a hefty bag, I hope? No, he hugged his... Oh, wait, his... glad. Glad bag. He, uh, he hugged his wife and they turned, they transformed into a bush. Oh. Well, it, into turn... a singular bush? Yeah, they, they like, their bodies entwined together and they became a plant. My they, they both died. That, that show was Matt weird. Was... Matt turned into a plant once. And then that the fox true. looked all sad and then just sort of ran off. At least they didn't turn into garden gnomes. <laughs> That is true. That would have been really obvious. Uh, I actually, I also want to talk about the how dumb it is to take the fucking Defiant into uh, on a fucking science adventure. Yeah, what? Was, what? Yeah, that's why? why you have runabouts in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Like, we know guys, they can go quite a long way from the ship. Yeah, they have warp capability, or from like, the guys, station rather. I appreciate that you don't want to go to do war stuff for a couple of minutes, but tough ship, shit. It's a warship. Yep. It's a warship. Send a runabout or a science vessel, you know? Yeah. The yeah, Enterprise kind of science does both. ships. Well, or they got multi-purpose ships like the Enterprise. Yeah. They got yeah. they got specifically science ships as well, yeah. but the the Defiant is neither of those. No. Get one of those it's... goofy round ships like Dr. Crusher had in the uh, it... the, the alternate future. Yeah. Oh, I was is... thinking about like the Reliant from Star Trek 2. Also or that. that. Which those those ships are still around in the twenty fourth century. Like, yeah, those are science they, ships. I think they still have incompetent first officers. Probably yes. Mm -hmm. Um, but Chekhov's no longer around, so that's good. <laughs> Never made it. Is he? We don't know that. We don't know how he died. I'm McCoy stayed saying... alive well into the. Uh, yeah. So what century. are the what are the odds that they all did? He and he and Spock both did. So mm -hmm. everyone else has to be dead. Like that's just that's just simple. Uh, you know. And Scotty. Logic. Scotty uh, survived. Uh, yeah, but Scotty got... Thanks, Sc thanks to Scotty, science, of course. Yeah. yeah, Scotty cheated. There's no way Scotty would still be alive at 130 or whatever. <laughs> yeah. No, God, no. I'm sorry, look at Scotty. And that's in the future when everyone is healthy. Yeah. He, he, he uh, had to go to effort to look like that. Yeah. <laughs> oh, they want me to slim down for Star Trek VI. Fuck that, I said. <laughs> I'd uh, borrow Brian. Shatner's girdle, but I don't want to talk to him. <laughs> I don't know why I'm right. talking like this since I'm playing James Doohan and not Scotty. Yeah, you're not. Uh... <laughs> Plus, his Scottish accent was not quite that good. No. <laughs> and you're just throwing one off the top of your head. Yes. Uh, Brian, what was your bad thing? Uh, my bad thing was, uh, and this is actually something that I, I've, I've meant to reference a few times, and this episode just happened to have a particularly noticeable one. Um, one of the Jebhandar didn't have a nose. Mm. Like they all had noses smell. and some um like in a leather dinosaur. The it was um, the uh, Jem'Hadar Voldemort. <laughs> but they um because they, they all had like you know various different types of noses and Jem'Hadar noses are always a little snouty. But with this guy, mm. it was like they just like glued like a spare like Gorn snout onto him. Yeah. And, and it's weird, because they're supposed to be clones. Like, all the alpha ones should look the same, and the gamma guy should look different, and that's it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and the gamma guy had, like, his hair was extra, like, sticking out all over the place. Mm -hmm. Which is weird, because I keep forgetting Jem Hadar even have hair. Yep. It's oh, not hair, got, like... it's, a, uh, it's a brush to keep the uniform clean. Oh, that makes sense. They do it have just nice pops clean... out of the back of their head. <laughs> and yeah. nice clean uniforms. Mm -hmm. Um, 
they uh, they've, they've got like Hellboy hair. They've just got like a little fringe at the back and a ponytail. Yep. Mm. Well, um, I mean that's how you know you're a warrior because you have a ponytail. There you go. Boy, but Ron the um, would be a great Jem'Hadar. And anytime there's a big group of aliens together, there's always one of the random extras who just doesn't look like he belongs. And we yeah. see these all the time. There's like a Vulcan with a weird face, sir. You know, one of the Klingons whose forehead just looks like it's sitting weird. Well, yeah, and... we've we've remarked on this a lot that yeah. like, certain face shapes just lend themselves better to certain races. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like uh, Vulcans and, and Romulans, you have to have sort of that harsh, you know, look to you. Yeah, you need like a firm of... jaw and yeah, but I'm saying you kind of already and... need to look like one without makeup. So then the makeup just sort of accentuates it a little bit. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Like if you looked really soft to begin with, it doesn't work as well as if you already kind of already have the look. Like all these short weirdos that wind up playing Ferengi. Yeah. Is, uh, is, is Jeffrey Combs a uh, a short weirdo? He's yeah. He doesn't seem tall, as far as I can no, tell. He's yes. kind of short. I would um, classify well, Jeffrey Combs as a short weirdo. Yes. But this is the last weirdo. episode where we saw Quark, Nog, and Brunt all without their makeup on, and yeah, yeah. Jeffrey Combs was probably the best looking of the three of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Nog looked like an infant. He was so it looked weird. like the Gerber he had, like, baby is a the goosey. face of an old man and the body and voice of a uh, a ten year old boy. Yep. Hey, Mister Cisco, forget about it. You gonna read that? I like watching war pictures. Bada bada bada. Hey, nineteen fifties. <laughs> I'm gonna go That's away for the know. rest of the episode now. That's how you know it's the fifties. Mm-hmm. It's really weird that he's the first one we saw apart from Cisco. It does uh, sort of uh, nail what's going on, though, because oddly enough, he's actually really easily identifiable. Well, yeah, he is. <laughs> he is. Well, because he's three feet tall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think it's three apples. High. Three, three apples high. Yes. Yeah. Uh, my bad thing. I did like the idea of there being conflict between the Alpha and the Gamma Gemhadar. Like the idea that they've entrenched themselves long enough in the Alpha Quadrant that they're building their own here, and these guys are different in a lot of ways. They're they're configured to to fight here better for mm-hmm. what I don't think they ever specified what that means. They just said they're they're better suited. Well, they know I noticed that they all had a um like their their personalities were like a little more action oriented and I think they were designed to sort of compensate for like the extreme resistance and individualism of alpha quadrant species. Yeah, I guess the gamma ones would almost be a little complacent because everyone there, like, you might have pockets of uprising, but at this point, they've got that shit under control. Yeah, but they're yeah. so under control, so, like, the gammas years. have to be, like, really, like, by the book and regulated, but the alphas yeah. were like, hey, we don't have to thank the founders every time we get this, we thank them with our actions. And like, Plus, they're... the founders aren't even here most of the time. Mm. I've never met a founder, what, what do I know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think this is as close as a gem gets to being an atheist. It's yeah. really tough when your uh, when your gods when are constantly sending you video messages. Yeah, <laughs> and when they have a like a messenger to constantly bring you the, the you know your lifeblood. Messenger who um, doesn't know where the video camera is. Right, but the thing is, I like that idea. I really do like the conflict and the idea that there's a you know a different breed of soldier. You know the subtleties between this clone race. It's kind of like when the Star Wars Clone Wars did this with the clone troops, where. Somehow they're all the same guy, but they managed to find subtle shades to make them individuals. That was mm-hmm. very cool. Um, and I feel like we would have gotten the idea without the older Jem'Hadar guy constantly going, I resent these newer Jem'Hadars from the Alpha Quadrant. Mm-hmm. Every five minutes, he's just like looking right at them as, oh, these Alpha Quadrant guys. Jeez. We would have really happily gone without that scene where he's just laying exposition on Cisco in the turbo lift. Yeah, because they got think it. they're as, so as the special that they are alpha and I am gamma. 
I'm yeah. Gamma. Did you? Did I tell you? Back in the Gamma Quadrant, I used to. I'm a little bit country. Listen, buddy. <laughs> le listen, buddy. Unless you're going to turn into the Hulk, I don't give a shit. The uh... <laughs> now, are you going to turn into the Hulk or not? I wish we, we don't have we don't have shrinking anomalies in my quadrant. Rumble. Rumble. Um, yeah. it did set up that I did love Cisco's one line though when the guy was like, oh, "The first thinks that we should trust you, but I do not." And Cisco just goes, "Well, what a pity for you that you are not the first. Yeah. <laughs> no, Cisco does Cisco a great turned job British to... in that impression for a second for some reason. That's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, he walks a, he walks a fine line. Yeah, Cisco does a good job of like. Like it's it's way too obvious that there's there's friction between them, but he still yeah. does a good job of putting like shoving a wedge in and like trying to turn them against each other and like mm -hmm. it's great stuff. Yeah, he's like, hmm, friction. I can work with that. Yeah, this is the first rule of of being a hostage is trying to find a way out and trying to turn the guys against each other or something. You know, like that's what you do. So good. Mm -hmm. But but in general, I thought it was a little too like we had a scene. We the audience had a scene before the Starfleet guys showed up, so we knew what was going on and then they explained it again to the starfleet guys it's like we didn't need it twice we the audience didn't need it twice no i think that's that's the problem it's like maybe if we yep. just come in when he explained it to cisco it would have been better it's like the green lantern movie i wouldn't know they went through all the exposition twice in that movie they have like an opening it... narration bit and then when hal gets to oa they explain it all again just one of the thousands and thousands of problems with that movie well, he wasn't there for the narration, Brian. They gotta explain it to him. <laughs> Do you want the main character to not know what's going on in his own movie? No, I'm sorry. We uh, we went over all this earlier. You should have been paying attention during the opening crawl. <laughs> uh, you know the worst thing about that movie? It wasn't. Everything? It wasn't about Guy Gardner. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Well. Yeah. Oh, Ryan Reynolds is playing the Green Lantern. Oh, neat. They're making a movie with Guy Gardner in it. Nope. We've decided to try to give Hal Jordan a personality. Yeah, good luck. Uh, let's not get into that. I like Al Jordan, but, but I also like Guy Gardner. I also think me at age 20 should have played Guy Gardner, but that's another story. <laughs> I've seen pictures. You're not wrong. Yeah. All right. We need to wrap this up. Any any further things? I think we've covered all the... Uh, I think Cisco handled himself impressively well when he was dealing with an entire group of people whose names were numbers. <laughs> that's true. We know, it's like... First, this is third. Ooh. Oh, God. And then after a while, they were just like, you know, tell, tell you know, tell three to work the regu the regulation controls. Right now, three. I mean, I know, but I just want to see if you know. <laughs> Could you all wear your number? No, that's not going to help me. And then there's one <laughs> point where it starts passing uh, out prisoner jackets to them. There's what there's one point where seven gave six an order and six followed it right away. Huh? I guess. No. Uh, I guess uh, six was uh, afraid of no. seven. Huh? See ya, folks. I guess. Time to go. <laughs> We're not doing that. Brian, why don't you instead tell the people about your fine blog? Uh, yes, my uh, my fine, fine blog uh, is uh, still at allthedisneymovies.blogspot.com, although I am far removed from the Disney movies now. I had just wrapped up uh, the career of Don Bluth uh, with Titan AE, speaking of uh, speaking of science fiction. Um, oh, did you do that one? I, I missed that. I missed one. I well, saw yeah, was, it's uh, uh, it's uh, it's written tomorrow's the formatting day, and then oh, okay. it's uh, posted tomorrow night. And I was going to say, I, I just of course read, the last uh... time I said that was when I had the uh, the Little Mermaid review finished, and then I stepped on my computer before the uh, 
Oh, nice. Before the I recommend not doing that again. Episode, so. I will. Uh, no, this time I am. I'm quite confident I'll have it posted. This but... time for sure. <laughs> it's uh, It's a movie I loved when I was in high school, and because mm-hmm. it's like it's real like sci-fi, like you know, it's it's real like hard sci-fi stuff. Um, yeah. But uh, yeah, it's it's not super good, and it's mm. super like it was made in 2000. And you remember how every movie back then was obsessed with selling its soundtrack. Uh-huh. Like, yep. there would constantly be, like, musical montages and everything. I think American Pie is what really kicked that off. But mm. then, like, every single movie had, like, music from blah, blah, blah. And yeah, boy, right. they they really went for that in this one. This is, this is, like, the most 2000 soundtrack I've ever heard. But it was written by Joss Whedon, and you can see a lot of that in there. So Yeah. Well, that's cool. As I recall, there's a lot of sort of proto-Firefly uh, in there. It's the, Their ship is basically Serenity. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I'm um, sure he probably had the idea and then just recycled what he didn't use. For, and, you know. and you know, I've been talking so much about how good Don Bluth is at uh, voice casting, and then the three leads in this movie are Matt Damon, Drew Barrymore, and Bill Pullman. You know, not, not bad actors, like any of them, on him. but not voice actors. That feels like that was pushed on him. Put put Matt Damon, but Matt Damon's, like, pretty. That's his thing. No, put him in your movie. All right. He was just yeah. beautiful voice. Yep. Matt but Damon. he can't voice act. He probably could now that he's got a little more experience under his belt. Well, but, yeah. Uh, no, no, I think he's a fine actor, but I think young Matt Damon, the whole support, point supporting of him was cast he is was great. great. It's got uh, Nathan Lange, Janine Garofalo, John Leguizamo. Like, it's like. Right. Supporting cast is fantastic, especially mm. Nathan Lane doing a British accent, which is just weird. But he's, <laughs> and he's playing like a sexy bad boy. Very strange. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, coming up this coming week, actually, Matt and I will be at the Emerald City Comic Con. Yes, in indeed, we will. We will be at table FF, that is F as in Ferengi, uh, 03. Yep. Uh, next to our good What's the other F for? Page. Yeah, uh, also Ferengi. Oh, okay. It's yeah, the fantastic sorry. Ferengi. Yes. Uh, we will also be doing a panel, uh, which is a comedy show, which is actually affiliated with the other podcast we do, the Sarcastic Voyage podcast, mm-hmm. uh, Friday, March 27th, 4.30, Try to be there. Uh, Brian's going to be there along with Flonk hey. and Nate and Amanda. Basically, all the guests we have on the show regularly, except Gav, who lives in another country and can't always make it out here. All guests but, from this continent. Yes. Every, yeah. Everyone like that you have heard on this show almost will be in one place. And if you can make it there, we will be also doing a recording of this show. The next episode of mm-hmm. this show will be recording there with Bob, who will also be there. Yes. Um recording with us so look forward to that and oh um before we go i also wanted to mention um i did a guest spot on uh destroy all podcasts last week we watched batman forever so uh check that out excellent recording other podcasts without me i see that's fine you do like 15 when i'm not around yeah but not not of other people's they're all mine that's true no no that's cool uh i actually need to check that out don't forget you're both writing guest entries on my blog yeah, sure. That uh-huh. sounds like something I promised I would do. Like three years ago? All right, Matt. Yeah, it's going to be get us out of here. See you, folks. <laughs>The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Copyright 2015. Please don't sue us. We're just doing this for fun.